The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on Tom Sumner program. And uh, joining me for this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, good morning. Hello. So high, you're hard to calculate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's For all of us. Right. And, and on the right, and I'm old enough to have a driver's license now. Yes, I'm old enough to have a driver's license. <laughs> and on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Good morning, Henry. Good morning. Oh, now everybody's here. I guess, yeah. And joining our uh, roundtable, we have uh, author, ghostwriter, extraordinaire Wesley Whitaker joining us once again. Good morning, Wes. Welcome. Good morning, Tom. Glad to be here. Morning, Good morning Wes. Gentlemen. Yeah, Good morning, I, Wes. I, I, I had a little glitch there. I had to, um, uh, there was uh, some music playing. It was left over from some programming from yesterday's show. And uh, when I when I went to clear it out, it, uh, it knocked me off the phone line. You guys were still there, but... Uh, I got disconnected temporarily, but we're all hooked up now. And could you hear us? No, I couldn't until oh, I uh, okay. un- until you could hear me. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, we had we had a short conversation. It's kind of wondering yeah. what was going on. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was struggling to get back to you, and I I finally made it, so we can uh, we can begin in full force. Um, 
We always start with a few quotes, and the first one is uh, finish the quote, where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it goes like this. Democracy is when the indigent and not the men of property are what? Hmm. When the indigent uh, are able to I, vote? No, it's got to be something more complex than that. Are replaced by each other. Well, the original quote is, democracy is when the indigent and not the men of property are the rulers. Oh. Yeah, it's like being replaced, transferred, you know, cross-fertilized, pollinated. And they become that one goes <laughs> back a little ways. Uh, let's see. Who, who do you think don't so? have Lincoln. I'll go back a little further than that. Uh, Aristotle? Oh, John Adams. You're right, Paul. It was, in fact, Aristotle. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> well, here is, uh, here is one that got my attention uh, over the last couple of days. We need to say as clearly and as forcefully as we can that the ideology of white supremacy has no place in America. None. Joe uh, Biden? Biden in, in Buffalo. It was. Uh, President yeah, Joe yeah. Biden on Tuesday did not hesitate to call the deadly mass shooting in Buffalo, New York, an act of domestic Take terrorism, condemning the racist <laughs> ideology of the suspected shooter. White supremacy is a poison. It's a poison running through our body politic, Biden said, adding <clears throat> that silence is complicity. Can the presidential bully pulpit evict well-rooted pockets of white supremacy in the U.S.? Uh, no. I doubt it will have much effect, unfortunately. And besides, they have the same rights as everybody else does in this country. The Constitution. Yeah, his party is engaged in identity politics. It just comes off yeah. sounding phony. Yeah, but I, I don't think, you know, g given the division we have these days, I don't think those comments are going to change much. I mean, they're, no. they're wise to, have to say that kind of stuff, but I don't think it's going to change the practice. In fact, it may almost cause a, a rebound effect in the other direction to some degree. Hey, Wes, um, explain what, what you were talking about um, a little bit more, could you? Well, th that's, that's one of the big things that I see is, standing on the outside looking in is the the backlash from the Trump popularity is caused and this is not Democrats, this is the Democrat Party structure. My my the reason that I am more of a libertarian is because the two parties have, I think, in my opinion, corrupted the political discourse in this country. And what I see happening with the Democrat Party is they are so desperate to push back against Trump's popularity, that they're really playing the race card, saying, well, you know, we, we have the black vote, we have the Hispanic vote, they're, we just assume that they're going to vote Democrat. And that's changing, and they don't know how, how to handle that. So they're, they're going after every, every racial and, and um, social group that they can try and get back into their camp to try and stabilize their political power. 
Mm-hmm. And you guys might remember, I've said this for a long time, that this was coming. And yes. it's evolving all the time. And, uh, and it's here. But well, it's still a we're in free fall. But our, our whole country is in free fall as a result of it. So we just don't know Good example is in calling Clarence Thomas, calling Clarence Thomas a sellout. Or, yeah. You know, racially yeah. Not, not pure. Because his wife is white. I mean, that's crazy in this country. That to start is crazy. Those kind of distinctions yeah. now. No, I think it's a reflection of the changing demographics we're seeing, and and as I say, the whole idea of of the social issues being the dominant ones more so than public policy. And that's been true for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that very subject, Paul, is going to come up again later in uh, in the show today. <clears throat> and and uh, the. The comment about uh, Clarence Thomas's wife being uh, white is we always, always, whether we believe this or not, and uh, we've always considered ourselves a melting pot, whatever that meant, and probably meant different things to different people. But also the 1619 theory said that this was an ideal, but it was all a lie. Can you imagine that? She said that bluntly. This was an idea, but a lie. And uh, when you speak about the Constitution, I, I feel very sad about calling all of the hard work that was done by the shapers of the Constitution was good work. There's, there's nothing wrong with the country. It's the people. <laughs> you know, there's nothing True. wrong with the Constitution. Yeah. It's the yeah. people. <laughs> we have to figure out how to bring the people back together and create a, a dialogue that we can all live with. Do you think it's going? To, do you think, Henry, at some point, where this division would just kind of burn itself out out of just sheer exhaustion? There are times that I think that the, the, the exhaustion on both sides may just burn itself out. And we may get back to a more yeah. And you know, I, I really system. like what some of the black leaders are saying. Not all of them. The ones that, that are embedded Democrats, I don't too much. Uh, I let them go their own way for their own reason. But there are some of the new ones that have become Republicans say that um, they don't, they never called a white man a racist. I don't know whether you've ever read any of this stuff or not. But uh, that's, people are taking a look at that and uh, seeing the new dialogue that's coming from black people who have been depressed and have been uh, victimized and stuff like that, but yet they're willing to find some middle ground someplace, and that's what we all have to do as Americans, find that middle ground. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's another quote that that (laughs) caught my attention this past week. If I am required to play the radical left's COVID game, I will decline participation. Hmm. It sounds like something I would say. (laughs) (laughs) It does sound a little like something you would say. Yeah, I was just trying, who could that be? Was it Governor Whitmer? No, it was someone who would like to unseat Governor Whitmer. Oh, uh, that would be uh, our uh, 
two. Yeah. There's so many of them. No, no. It <laughs> how, was, how do you choose? Yeah, they yeah it, was, it was my, my guest last hour, Ottawa uh, County real estate agent Ryan Kelly in the uh, Detroit Free Press. Oh, He's yeah. one of five Republican candidates for governor invited to debate at the Mackinac Policy Conference. Says he will refuse to do so over the Detroit Regional Chamber's policy requiring conference attendees to show proof of vaccination or a negative COVID-19 test. Um, have policies like these at the, at the Mackinac Policy Conference ever divided Republicans at the event in the past? Mm, yeah, Not like it is today, because I've gone to London. Yeah, I can't recall any of those either, Henry. That's, that's very unusual. Yeah. No, uh, this is on a par with requiring you to sell a star of David on your jacket before you can go out in public and shop. I mean, this, it really is. There's, there's uh, a couple of things about this that, that I find real interesting. One, I, I talked to Ryan Kelly about this very thing last hour, and he clarified and said if they're holding the, thing, the debate outside and masks and, and vaccination uh, proof and those things are not required, he will participate. But he won't participate in any part of the conference that requires uh, proof of vaccination or a negative COVID-19 test or masks or whatever. The other thing that is interesting about this is the Detroit Regional Chamber picking only five of the ten to participate in their debate. Yeah, that's not, that is unusual. I, I thought that there were you know ten out there. Is there a was there a logic behind their choice? Why only the five? I don't know, but I'll I'll use that as an opportunity to say that Ryan Kelly this morning was the first of all ten who have been invited. <laughs> and hmm. and uh, the next couple of Wednesdays, I, I, I have two more, and we'll continue right up to the primary, giving uh, those primary candidates a chance to, to be heard and, and let people know who they are. Is Tudor Dixon in the group? Did, I'm sorry. Uh, is Tudor Dixon included? She's invited but not yet confirmed. Yeah. Um, I do have uh, uh, Captain Mike uh, will be here next Wednesday, and then then I think we, we have uh, a, a Wednesday off for the uh, first of the month when I talk the economy with uh, Chris Douglas. Uh, what about uh, Shift uh, Craig? Haven't heard back from him yet. Oh, okay. um, but Donna Brandenburg is confirmed for the fifteenth, and and I have to follow up with a few others. Um, has has the, the the controversy over Sheriff Craig's uh, signatures on the petitions been settled? I mean, I hadn't heard I much about it for a while. No, in fact, I, Ryan I, Kelly said this morning that he expects that list of ten to drop by at least a couple. No. <laughs> he expects <laughs> he expects announcements to be made next week that the the list is actually shorter than 10. You know the irony uh, is most of uh, the people who work for him must be democrats. And and that's how they do things. They they do things that they typically do. If you don't go out and confirm uh, the people through uh, 
with the identification of some kind that they're registered voters in Michigan and in their home precincts and they're above 21 and you just go out and sign petitions, you're just treading water. Hey, no, we've got to take a break there, Paul. Um, okay. We'll be back with uh, more Armchair Politics with our uh, roundtable regulars joined by Wes Whitaker right after this. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom General stuff? Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than a thousand dollars now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen. We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, 
Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Wesley Whitaker. Um, The misdemeanor case against Danielle Green, the former Flint School Board president who allegedly assaulted another member during a committee meeting, has been pushed back to next month. At her court date uh, on Monday morning, Green and her new attorney, Rico Neal, asked for the pretrial hearing to be delayed, so Neal has time to speak with the prosecutor and review Green's case, Genesee County District Court Judge Herman Marable set a June 13th pretrial date at 9.30 a.m. Nicholas Somberg, Green's former attorney, said at her last appearance in court that they were very close to a plea agreement resolution. The district court record shows that Green filed uh, to substitute her attorney on May 16th. The board member was charged by the city of Flint with misdemeanor charges of assault and battery and disorderly conduct on April 5th. The alleged assault incident took place during a school board committee meeting on March 23rd at the district's administration building. A special meeting took place the same day at which Green was stripped of her board presidency. Vice President Joyce Ellis McNeil was elevated to board president, and Carol McIntosh became the board's new vice president. Does it seem strange to change attorneys in the middle of a plea deal negotiation? Maybe strange, but maybe maybe the new 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 attorney can make a better deal. I mean, I don't know what the logic was there, but uh, it does seem odd to me. Yeah. But you've got all of the uh, the surveys and the investment and time and money and. Resources uh, invested in this one attorney, yeah. and he must know a lot about the case. And I would think, from Green's point of view, <laughs> getting a a quick plea deal of some kind is probably would be the wisest move from her point of view to just get yeah. this behind her in some way. Um, yeah, my son's an attorney, and, and that's happened to him when he doesn't give the potential client the information that they think they are yeah. getting. Yes, like like don't worry about this. You're not you're not going to go to jail. You know, if he tells them the facts, they get angry, and I want a different attorney. It's not mm. going to change the law. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe the first attorney did, did, didn't work out a very good plea deal, and she's hoping for a better one with a second attorney. I don't know. Yeah. Pure speculation. Yeah. Well, let's see. A recall petition filed against Flint Board of Education President Joyce Ellis McNeil was rejected Monday, (laughs) May 16th by the Genesee County Election Commission for unclear language. The recall filed against Ellis McNeil last month alleged that she violated board policy by moving items from committee meetings to the full board for a vote. 
McNeil willfully violated policy and the law by voting to illegally reopen contracts, the recall petition read. Typically, all items discussed in committee meetings are put to board committee of the whole and regular board meetings for a final vote. It is unclear who filed the recall petition. The recall itself only names Ellis McNeil. Ellis McNeil said in a statement to AM Live that the district has to keep moving forward. Is there anyone that's willing to serve the public in Flint that the public supports? I'm not so sure. I, when, I, when I heard that, I was thinking that the strangest thing is now all of a sudden the Flint City Council is only the second worst governed commission around the Genesee County with the school board doing all this stuff. Gee. And I've said that for a long time, guys. I'm sorry. But this is where we derive our future leaders from. And we are yeah, always looking for right. young people to qualify for scholarships and stuff. They're coming out of the Flint District, but with the kind of culture and stuff that's generated in Flint, it's hard to do. And there are you know, people you, working toward that, trying to make that happen. You make a good point, Henry. I mean, with, with all the, I mean, thinking about the city council and the school board and to some degree even the county commission, or at least the county officials, I mean, it discourages qualified, competent people from getting involved in these kind of things. And the fact is, we need qualified, competent people to be on councils and city councils and school boards and county commissions and all that. But when you look at the chaos and the turmoil and the, the backbiting that goes on, it doesn't discourage folks from getting into the into public service of any kind. And the when, when you're sitting outside Flint looking mm -hmm. in, yeah. you wonder, you know, how come somebody like Eric Mays is not, or how is it that he still shows up at the meetings? It's like the WWE has taken over the Flint City Council. <laughs> yeah. You watch professional wrestling or you watch a city council meeting. That's about it. I, I used to joke with Jack Miner years ago that they could raise funds by selling tickets to the circus of the city council. That, and that was two decades ago when it yeah. was no, less, even less chaotic than it is now. And you know, the irony is... Uh, you know, the good old days, this. right? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the irony is, and we don't talk about this much, but it discourages white people who want to help the city and who want to bring in new businesses and stuff. It discourages them from making these kind of moves because they have to be a friendly government and a a higher educational institution that at least uh, uh, students coming out of the schools that are capable of accepting new businesses and new challenges. But there's the irony, and we don't talk about that much, but uh, somehow maybe one day we'll get to it and, and come to some kind of a strategy to make that happen. Because there are a lot of people that really want to see Flint evolve into something yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, when you take a look, if you're, if you're a prospective business or investor and you're, you're looking around the area and trying to find out where you want to locate, and you take a look at what's going on in Flint, you'll say, oh, never mind, I'm going to go to Burton or I'll go to Flushing or, or I'll go to Fenton or somewhere else because, it's, yeah, it's got to be very discouraging in terms of the public image of the city. And, and you know, and it's, it's, and it's a shame because when I travel, I talk people say, well, where are you from? I said, I'd you know, I live outside Flint, and they go, oh, Flint, blah, blah. And I have <laughs> yeah. to spend five minutes saying, you don't even know anything about Flint. 
you know, all you know is what you've seen lately here. But Flint at one time was the global center for innovation and, and entrepreneurship and all these great things that developed out of Flint from through the Mott Foundation. I mean, it, it, this city was one of the top cities in the country at one yeah, time. Yeah, in the world. In the world. And we yeah, allowed I, it to just evolve. I, I can retell a story I think I mentioned before. One time, a couple of years back, we were up in Frankenmuth at some event and talking to a couple near us. And, you know, where you're from, where you're from. And so we're from Flint. And their response was as if you just told me you had a terrible disease. Oh, we're so sorry to hear that. <laughs> How you survived yeah. and that kind of stuff. It was that kind of response we got from them. Yeah. And, you know, the irony is when I when I say we, there are people that are willing and cry on the, around this donut, they're willing to move in and, and help Flint become more successful. But then there are those who would condemn that statement and say, well, you're against black people, and and that is, we've we got to get past that. We've got to have an open dialogue. And there was a, there's a saying that I, I like to use every time somebody starts talking about how bad it is here is make sure your worst enemy is not living between your two years. I think that applies when you're talking about people's perceptions in this area. Well, yeah, yeah. I remember when you talk about how great Flint used to be. Um, <clears throat> my dad, for a time, worked for the uh, uh, communications office for the Flint Community Schools. And... You know, everybody's got that, that last line on their resume that says, and other, or uh, on their job description that says, and other duties as uh, assigned. One of those other duties that my dad had was um, giving tours to visiting dignitaries of the Flint Community School System. Oh, yeah, it was a model for the nation. <coughs> yes. No, when I first came here in '69, was, that's one thing we heard. Oh, you're going to Flint? Boy, they got a great school system up there. And yeah, that, that was that was the image you had at that time. Yeah, you used to be able to get those mic classes. You didn't have to pay for them, and right. And uh, if you didn't graduate, you could go to school and decide to drop out and come back in yeah. and, and get a diploma for nothing, just for the time that you spent. What a Gracious years, the Flint residents. Well, Paul, I don't know how many people took advantage of it, but it was there if you wanted it. Well, Paul always sends me uh, an email on Tuesdays about today's show with some things that he's noticed in the in the news and uh, just some some bullet points to talk about. And usually, we're pretty much in sync we've noticed the same things in the news but he had one that that got by me i i did see some things on it but i i, I just didn't uh, catch it in time to pull the story talking about the uh the big blight removal project in flint um paul what can you fill in a little bit on on what that is what it um, encompasses and where the money's coming from? Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't have the, the numbers in front of me right now, but I know, I know that the, uh, uh, I believe, I think it was the mayor appointed a new director of blight removal, and there was a substantial amount of money. I'm, I'm going to say I think I heard $5 million mentioned, but I, again, I, I'm, I wouldn't swear my numbers are accurate. 
And the idea was they were going to go around to various neighborhoods and just you know remove all of the burned out properties and abandoned buildings and so forth and uh, around Flint. Um, and you know it was getting a it had had a news story I think in the journal a day or two ago. Uh, how successful that's going to be, I have no idea, and exactly how much money. Like I say, I, I think I heard five million, but I I'm not sure about the amount of money. Uh, but it sounds like at least the way they're they're pumping it up sound like it's going to be a, a more extensive program than they've done in the past. Do they, because of ownership issues, do they have to start with land bank properties? Hmm, I would guess so. I mean, I would think you would have to. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I don't know the, the legal well, issues there, but I would think so. All properties are not land bank, but if you go, if you go to the area bounded by the Flint River on the north and, and Dort Highway on the, on the east, and uh, Franklin yeah. on the south, the east side of Flint, on the west is the expressway. That area is pitifully burned out. It looks like Kosovo. No, it looks like uh, it looks like Ukraine. It looks like some Ukraine. Part of Ukraine. Yeah, and I, I we, just, just right through there. That's what it looks like. Yeah, we we've it's done terrible. that a couple of times in recent months, and we, we were struck by the fact that you know, endless, you know, abandoned homes, burned out houses, things of that nature, all over the place. Uh, yeah, I know some of your in the city of Detroit. Day. In the city of Detroit, didn't they kind of address that, and they ended up with like twenty-seven acres of farmland in the city? Yeah, yeah, yeah I recall seeing some photographs of that for community gardens and stuff. I mean, yeah. I think it's a great program if they follow through with it. It's a good investment, anyway. As a matter of fact, uh, speaking of that, there's a home over there because I ride through there occasionally and to see how they could improve the area. There's a place over there with chickens. They, it, it's well cultivated. And it's, <laughs> it's off of uh, Franklin and bounded about uh, by uh, Oklahoma toward George Highway in there. And you could drive through there and you see this well cultivated yard of chickens. Yeah, no, I, that, that doesn't surprise me. I recall... We once owned a rental house, some rental houses in that area. Not quite that far up, but in that general area. And this goes back a good de couple decades. And, uh, yeah, what some neighbors did have chickens even at that time, a couple of them. Well, there yeah. was a, a controversy about that here, I want to say, maybe five years ago, where uh, some neighbors complained about somebody that was keeping chickens and it's against the law to do it in the city of Flint. And yeah, they were ordered yeah. to get rid of That's their chickens. Point. Has that but changed? But it beautifies the area, too. It brings beauty into uh, The chickens eat up all of the rubble and uncultivated grasses, and they keep it really nice in there. But, I'm, the guys, uh, but I'm wondering well, if that has changed. Care. A, a rooster doesn't care if you... Uh, partied all night and you didn't get to sleep until 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's true. And it's in, in some parts of, of Flint, them's fighting words. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of that, I, I'm not sure the case, the case I'm talking about, I'm not sure the neighbors weren't, weren't involved in cockfighting of some kind. I don't really know for sure, but I had some suspicions at the time. So. But I wonder, has that changed? Because Sandy and I, when we lived in Davison, it was legal there, and we had chickens. Oh. And, uh, and, and of course, the best eggs you'd ever want. But um, it, it was, um, 
but it was legal to do in, I mm-hmm. think, in Davison and or Davison Township. In any event, it was legal for us to do it. And um, and and I remember when this came up in Flint, um, there were people talking about maybe trying to change that law and allow people to have chickens. Now that you mention that, there was a time when we, again, when we sort of first moved here, we lived over on 2nd Street, that some of the neighbors had horses. Uh, and I, again, I don't know if that was legal or not, but uh, they had a horse or two in some garage not too far from our house at the time and would occasionally ride them around the, the neighborhood. Yeah, the the, the legal uh, requirement for horses is... Uh, Five acres. Yeah, well, it's really not five acres. Yeah. Um, no, I think you got to have for every horse you have one mm. acre. It may be one acre mm. because uh, we've had them here in Clio. Oh, no, no. yeah. That wouldn't have been maybe where they kept the uh, the the horses for the uh, uh, police. Uh, yeah, no, no. These, as far as I know, these were not police horses. These were privately owned. Uh, some individual who had, and it was a you know a decent sized lot, but it certainly wasn't five acres. And, and they had a large barn of some kind, and they had a horse or two there. And the kids occasionally would get on the horseback and ride it around the block or something. I, and I don't know how yeah. long the horses were there. You had to pay five two dollars or fifty cents. You have to be careful about riding horses in the city because. You know, some drunk on a lawnmower is liable to come by and steal <laughs> That's, <the> right. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh, we're getting uh, a little far off a field here, but um, but interesting. Um, four men tied to the uh, Michigan-based white supremacist group known as the Base have all entered pleas in their respective cases. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel announced uh, yesterday the cases against base members Justin Watkins, Alfred Gorman, Thomas Denton, and Tristan Webb have all ended in guilty pleas, with one case making history for being the first successful conviction using a charge of conspiring to train for a civil disorder. The base, uh, founded in 2018, is a white supremacy group that openly advocates for violence and criminal acts against the U.S. and purports to be training for a race war to establish white ethno-nationalist rule in areas of the U.S., including Michigan's Upper Peninsula, according to the Michigan Attorney General's office. The group also traffics in... uh, Nazi ideology and extreme anti-Semitism at one point requiring its members to read neo-Nazi books that urge the collapse of Western civilization. Is Michigan a breeding ground for white supremacy? Well, it always has that. I believe it's out by the pier. They've always had a a, a, um, harbor out there and there was one down in at Clio. Clio at one time was considered the home of the skinheads and the Ku Klux Klan. And, and there are other places that have been sites where they have had a presence. But I don't think that we have to worry about them because as long as the rest of the population 
uh, doesn't give them the, the authority or the rule to run rampant over the rights of other people through intimidation or coercion. Yeah, the, the rural parts of the state have had little of that. Of course, in the thumb, wasn't it the the Oklahoma bombing was... Um, yes. Is it Deckerville I'm thinking of? Yeah. Deckerville? Yeah. 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 That that was the homeless. So it, it, it's had it here, although other rural parts of other states have done it too. Idaho certainly has had it more than a few in many parts of the south. The upper half of the lower peninsula, when you go into the interior, is like the meth capital of the Midwest. Yeah. Hmm. But I don't think that people are really that biased up north. I mean, they, uh, they I don't see them as having issues, but you might have these enclaves of people who move into certain areas and form certain groups. Well, Sandy and, and I are thinking about moving up to the UP someday, and I don't want to move up there if there's going to be a bunch of Nazis running around. <laughs> Well, there's always there's always been this undercurrent of racism because General Motors bust up so many people from the South to work in the factories. I, yeah, I grew yeah. up in I grew up in Bendel, and uh, for a couple of years I I went to the Flint City Schools, Stevenson Street Elementary, that used to be right in front of Holy uh, Hospital, and half of my friends in my neighborhood were black. And I moved back to Bendel, and I could not play on the Little League team in my neighborhood because I had Motown records. I'm serious. This guy wouldn't let me play on the Little League team because I listened, you know, excuse, excuse me, Henry, but I listened to nigger music. Yeah, so, that's all right. We, we don't mind that. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's nuts, you know? Yeah, yeah. it is. And, and unfortunate that is our society. We have to live the. Uh, we have to live with it. We have to help to change it. We have to cultivate it. We can't stop our continuous striving to change it. And I think that there are people who would, uh, over time, change uh, the uh, cultures that we're currently living in and learn to. We will probably never be one hundred percent uniform in anything. Nature doesn't create that kind of. Of, yeah. Uh, order. You know, the groups have probably been there for a long time, but don't you think the events of the last half dozen years or decade or so have encouraged these groups to be, become more public and more more vocal than they have been in the past? Yeah, um, I was just reading about Tucker Carlson. He's been the yeah. for being one of those people who go out. And I talked about Tucker Carlson because even before this became an issue of how he... Uh, I don't think that he would be that uh, strong opinionated if he were in the military. But he's a free man with a free voice with a microphone. And, and it's, it's profitable for him. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's making a ton profitable. of money with that. Yeah, so, but, uh, but you know, that's a good point. Good I mean, that's a good point. He makes when good you're in the military, when you're yeah. in the military, you, you reach a point where it doesn't matter what nationality or creed yeah. the guy is next to you. It's, is he doing his job? Yes. You know, that's all that really counts when the push comes to shove. It's, um, I, I think there should be some kind of national program that when you graduate high school, maybe not go in the military, but go into some kind of service for a couple of years and maybe even go overseas 
because there's no way you can appreciate what this country is. Yeah, well. Until you've been on the outside looking in or you've experienced another culture. This is well, an yeah, exceptional you know, place to live. We've got to pause on that note. We've got a uh, short break coming up. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do. You when do we that go to break. me every time, Tom. <laughs> Not every time. Me. Sometimes I go after. I get sometimes I go after Henry. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and uh, we'll be back to um, maybe we'll interrupt Paul next. We'll be right Hello back. There. <laughs> Darkwing Duck here, and every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage? Basketball or soccer? So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov slash vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, 
These days, price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual, but when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time, but when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney Generaling! We got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nussel. If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash ag. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we continue with today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Wes Whitaker, who we cut off uh, going into the last uh, break. <laughs> this this round, uh, we, we got another break coming up at the top of the hour. Maybe we'll, we'll cut Paul off there. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 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 always really happy when things resolve in a way when I can go to break, you know, at, at where there's there's just just a clean opening. But it doesn't happen often enough. Um but that's good because that means people are engaged and and there's lots to talk about. Michigan's abortion ban won't immediately go into effect if the U.S. Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade thanks to a state court ruling. The Michigan Court of Claims granted a preliminary injunction Tuesday in uh, Planned Parenthood of Michigan versus Attorney General Dana Nessel. Planned Parenthood wants Nessel and county prosecutors to be barred from enforcing an abortion ban in Michigan. The ruling is only temporary until the court case can be fully resolved. Nessel, a Democrat, says she won't prosecute abortions, but previously said she does not believe she is legally allowed to force county prosecutors to do the same. Can state courts set statewide standards for addressing the abortion debate? Remember we talked about this, uh, I think, last week, uh, Paul, yeah, that it would get really confusing if uh, different county prosecutors were handling cases differently. Exactly, and that could be that. That could be happening. I, you know, as you were saying it, I'm thinking. I'm thinking in the past uh, of different kind of enforcements for marijuana law. I mean, mar- marijuana charge in Ann Arbor would get you one thing, and the same kind of marijuana use up in uh, you know some rural county in northern Michigan. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. Too. I saw a comedian one time from Ann Arbor who was talking about the the five dollar ticket law right. for smoking marijuana, and for minors, um, smoking cigarettes was like a hundred dollar fine. <laughs> and, and so kids would be walking down the street smoking cigarettes, and if a cop approached them, they go, "It's pot! It's pot!" <laughs> oh, okay. no, no problem. <laughs> Give me the five dollar ticket. Right. <laughs> True. Uh, but yeah, but I, I mean, I recall the, the great diversity in prosecution on that issue. So yeah, you could face the same kind of thing if every every county prosecutor could go out and do their own thing. Uh, no, but the courts the courts cannot do that. 
the Kurds does not have a law-making body. They have to re- refer that back to the legislature. That's true. Kurds can, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> they can't do that. So the Kurds would be smart if they did what would be suggested by conservatives on the court, send it back to the legislature. But the fact is, prosecutors do have great discretion on for a lot of things, yeah. not just this kind of issue. And any given prosecutor, or, or a local prosecutor, can decide what to what to uh, pursue, you know, energetically, and what to ignore. And same is true for a cop on the corner. In some ways, they can decide what's what to what, what to, to to rest for and what to look the other way about. But the but the the Supreme Court can be challenged. Yeah, uh, clearly this is, this is not yeah. the end of the story there. That's yeah. going to be a, appeals and Supreme Court rulings and all yeah. that, almost certainly. Yeah. So, there's, your, there's your answer, Tom. Okay, well, then I guess we're... <laughs> We're we're not going to no. We're not going to be able to leave it up to the courts. It it's going to require uh, legislation to undo that 1931 Michigan law. Yeah. Well, Michigan newspapers need to post notices of public meetings or other similar announcements online in a manner that is free for everyone. According to a pair of bills Governor Gretchen Whitmer recently signed into law, local governments are also still required to purchase space in local print publications to publicly share the same information, a decision welcomed by media organizations but criticized by some municipalities. Uh, Senators Curtis uh, Vanderwall, a Republican from Ludington, and Sylvia Santana, a Democrat from Detroit, sponsored the legislation which received unanimous support in the House and Senate. Both lawmakers heralded the measure, saying they show an ongoing commitment to governmental transparency. Should all public media outlets in print and broadcast be required to include public notices? Well, it guarantees transparency, but who's going to pay for it? I mean, um, and it looks like the newspaper will become, or the media will become nothing else but that. Well, I think, Henry, you're exactly right. You take a look at, the, for example, the Flint Journal these days and uh, yes. what's left of it. Uh, and, 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 yeah, those, those public notices probably make up a significant fraction of their advertising revenue, I'm going to guess. Um, yeah. Maybe we can get a deal where they could uh, pay the Tom Sumner show to run ads on, on yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> no, that would be good. That would be a step in the right direction. Because they get a sense of humor along with it. (laughs) I'm I'm all for that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, know what's interesting is is when you were talking in the earlier segment about about Flint and the perception of Flint, um, I think think people would pay for something if there was a vision of what Flint is supposed to be. I think Flint does not have a vision right now. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. There's no shared um, you know, vision of the future of Flint. Everybody just looks around and says, okay, it's the apocalypse, and it's here, and there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. And I think people, that causes people just to give up and say, well, I'm not going to pay for that. I'm not going to get involved in that. I'm, I'm struck more and more by how, how, I mean, it's been true for a long time, but how 
I would almost argue the Flint's governed more by foundations like the Mott Foundation than it is by the city council in terms of any kind of vision for the future. Well, well that's that's an investment. That's an investment. Yeah, remember there was a time when there were three units uh, that made up the governance of Flint. One was the, the city council, the other was uh, the Mott Foundation, and the third one was GM. They had well, no, I, I used to argue it was always yeah. GM, the UAW, and the yeah. Mott Foundation, yeah. and two of those yeah. are pretty much gone these days. Yes. Yeah. And that worked out well. That worked out well. We earned lots of money, and people had all the money they wanted. They could go down and find a job in Flint, Michigan, if they wanted one. We, we were, and we were the, the top of the hill for income um, right. earned by individuals throughout the world. We had the highest income per capita in 1970 in the world, guys. Right, that's yeah. true. And but we had, we didn't we didn't, there was something always wrong. We couldn't deal with success. Well, that's now because we when you about. mention those those three things that impacted the way things were in Flint, the the Mott Foundation, General Motors, and the City of Flint, and only two out of three had any money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Those were the deep pockets. <laughs> That that's why the Mott Foundation and General Motors ran everything, and and really, you know, the UAW of course had a huge influence. Um, yes, the UAW was socially huge. and politically in Flint, but but again, that was that was all General Motors money. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well, actually, it was money, uh, guys, from uh, the. Um, the business that we carried on in this country uh, to build uh, products that other people wanted in other places around the world, and they sent us gold. And we shared that gold with people who lived around with us. We had well, a high income. Yeah. Well, one of the best yeah. lines I heard some years ago is that there's nothing wrong with Flint that 80,000 GM jobs wouldn't solve. That's, right. that's probably true. Oh, well, any, you could say that about any town. In yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, Especially we were so much a one-industry town. That once but the worst critics out. we have of Flint are the ones who live inside, inside Flint. You know, they don't what's being done? What's being done? What's being done to, to try and diversify the economic base in this region now? <laughs> we have a lot of resources. We have a lot of you know for a short time water. For a short time. Uh, Governor Granholm tried to encourage people in Michigan to upskill into uh, health care and, uh, you know, to build these big research centers and have more hospitals and all this kind of stuff. And it, and it, it was a concerted effort to find something different for, you know, people to different skills for people to acquire and and then after some time went by boom we were right back to making car batteries mm -hmm. yeah but the thing that's wrong with uh, diversification is that you have to have new monies brought into this area from other places somebody has to get rich through this transaction and somebody decline someplace and uh we we uh 
we, we can't bring in another Kmart because it just takes the money that we spend around in circles here. But it does not improve the growth of the economy. It does not enrich our pockets for those who live here. Stuff like that. We have to build something that provide a service that other people elsewhere well, we, need. Well, we need to quit publicly underwriting developers. They need to start putting some of their own skin yeah. in the game. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I agree. Take a look at no, exactly. let's let let's let Paul get in here so I can cut him off because we have to go. To break <laughs> I was going to say, take take a look at downtown Flint. How many of those businesses are have got either tax abatements or other kind of foundation backing of some kind? I mean, the whole. Okay, I really Flint. do have to cut you off. <laughs> well, I have to do it at least once because <laughs> <laughs> we're going to break here for the top of the hour. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.